Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Amen. Praise God. Will you just bow your head and uh, pray with me as we come on the word of the Lord today? And um, we're just going to remember Ukraine and Israel today as well in our prayer that God would bring peace. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for your, your kindness to us, Lord. And Lord, for the intimacy of your table, Lord, that we were able to partake together and remember as one body and being brought into that one body, Lord God, and remembering the price of such a great salvation. We give you praise, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the presence that's so rich amongst us, Lord. The unity that we have in the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord. And Lord, before we come around your word, we do lift up Ukraine and Israel to you today, particularly, Lord. That, Lord, you will bring peace to those regions and end to war. Oh, God, you would do the miraculous, Lord, what no politician can do. Would you ask you, Lord, just to comfort the populations, Lord, that are in turmoil. And, Lord, heal the wounds, Lord Jesus, Lord. And, Lord God, just comfort those, Lord, who are at loss today, Lord. Lord, Our words are cheap, Lord, but your Holy Spirit is everywhere. And, Lord, you can help them to make sense at this moment, Lord. Reveal the truth of yourself, Lord. Uh, Pray for this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen, amen. The Lord bless you this morning. Going to come around the Word of God today, today again. It's the Lord's Day. I love the Lord's Day. I hope you feel the same. It's been a lovely sense of His presence this morning here at the church. And um, so grateful to our worship team again for, for just a tremendous uh, anointing on you and bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're just going to read a little bit for you and we're going to come into the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Another translation says the darkness could not overcome it. So sometimes when we use the word comprehend, we, don't, we miss the, the, the pattern here. It's an English word, but it means didn't over, could not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of a man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. There was uh, many festivals in, in Israel of Jesus' time, and even today, you know, there's many festivals that the Jews 
celebrates on their, on their annual calendar. And uh, one of them falls within the same remit, really, of our celebration of Christmas. Um, some of you will know already what it is, but it's actually the festival of Hanukkah. Um, the festival of Hanukkah is celebrated in, in the Jewish uh, month, um, and it is roughly, it's the Jewish month of Kislev, and in, the, in our calendar, that's roughly November, mid-November to December. It's normally the 25th of Kislev that they celebrate this uh, festival. Now, it's not a festival that came out of the Torah, out of the teachings of Moses or the Mosaic Law. It was one that came in later. And it's an interesting background to it because it's, it's basically about 200 years before Christ when this first Hanukkah uh, festival started. It started at a time when we call it the intertestament period, a period of time, you could say, from the end of our official Old Testament right to the time of Christ. There's not a lot of writings. I mean, you have the book of Maccabees 1 and 2 that recall the, the story. But just for the sake of uh, just giving you a little bit of understanding that uh, the Jews have returned back to their homeland after the Babylonian captivity and started to repopulate again. The temple was, was, was rebuilt you have about 400 years in that period until Christ arrives. But during that time, they're conquered by the Greeks, Alexander the Great. It was one of the largest empires of all time, a huge spanning right across into Africa, right up to the borders of India. And uh, so he conquered that. And uh, that, through his empire, they, they call it the Hellenizing of different cultures, you know, where Greek culture and learning, philosophy, order was, and, and they were quite extensive. I mean, Socrates and all these tremendous philosophical minds, they were very thinking people. They had assimilated a lot of knowledge from other neighboring um, countries which they had conquered. So they brought a level of civilization, you could say, with them. Definitely excellence in how they did things. And the Jews loved that because they're a very linear, intelligent people. They, if it works, they're not going to argue. If it doesn't work, they'll take it on board. And so there was this what they call Hellenizing of, of the Jews in their thinking, in their culture. It started to impregnate their culture where the language began to swing towards Greek, uh, away from Hebrew because it was the language of commerce. If you wanted to be involved commercially in the world at that time, you had to know Greek. You were, if you were a clever dad, you would want your kids to know Greek because you want them to be able to do business and get on in life. And so over hundreds of years, Greek really became a very embedded language became the main language of the region, actually. And so, along with that comes a lot of the cultural thinking that, that the, the, the um, Greeks had. And as I said, a lot of what, you would, what I would say, and I think Christian, any Christian historian that would write that, a lot of, you could say, the more tepid of faith in the Jewish culture. In other words, not quite on the money with the Bible. Uh, you know, religious, but auctioning off, began to embrace a lot of the Jewish uh, a lot of the Hellenistic thinking. Um, and so, you know, that was, obviously that was something that really created tension within Israel itself because you had the more traditionalists that viewed the teaching of Moses and the Torah and the Talmud as being, you know, the, the rule of life, which is absolutely correct. Uh, and so when they started to see these sort of cultural adaptations, including religious adaptations coming in, and the nation becoming diluted in its, in its true revelation of God. Because after, at the end of the day, the Jewish people were the, the elect people of God to bring and to announce the, the values of who God was. And the revelation of God himself came through the Jewish people. Of course, 
You know where we're going to go next week. We're going to talk about the ultimate revelation of what that was, which Jesus Christ, who was a Jew. And, um, but at this moment in history, Alexander the, the Great had died. His, his, his empire, vast as it was, was broken up by his, and given to his different commanders. Um, the, the Jews, are, are Jerusalem, or Israel, fell under the Potelemic uh, which was governed by the Egyptian um, um, region of one of the commanders. The Syrian region was, was, was governed by others. And so uh, it, it broke up the, the Greek empire into different regional kings. And that in itself created new tensions of warfare. One tried to dominate the other. And as, even though they all started off as generals in the same armies and buddies fighting together, time passed by and they're all fighting against each other and their successors are fighting against each other because the empire is gone. And so this played out in Israel. You know, at this stage, the southern Ptolemaic empire, of, of, which was governed from Egypt upwards, had been defeated by the northern Syriac one that had defeated them. And of course... It was Antiochus the Great was the, the king at the time, and he was a very strong um, Grecian thinker, both religiously and every other way. So, uh, you know, he basically started to side with the Hellenistic Jews that favored more Greek input, a diluting of, of Jewish understanding of scripture and truth. So this is what's taking place kind of geopolitically. In Jerusalem, the Jews are back in their homeland, as I said. They're living, living reasonably peaceful. But now there's this massive intrusion where, where you have nearly like a, a religious civil war within Israel itself. And, of course, it, it, becomes, it becomes a fever pitch when, when um, Antiochus sides, the king, sides with the Hellenistic Jews that favored more Hellenizing, more Greek thinking, more Greek religion. And, uh, and of course, that created a tension. And eventually, it got, so, it got to the point where, where Antiochus himself came in. He established the worship of Zeus, one of their gods in the temple. He slaughtered a pig in the temple. He forbade the practice of circumcision for the Jews, started to clamp down in biblical Judaism, and that created what was called the Maccabean Rebellion. So it was uh, Matthias and his five sons. He was a priest, a uh, religious priest. That could, they, they, they got to such a point, it became breaking point for the religious Jews that they rebelled against the Greeks. And this all happened about 162, 163 years before Christ, roughly. This is the sort of period. And, and, and they, they rebelled, of course, and there was nearly two years of fighting, but eventually... What happened is that they, they were successful in, in re, re, regaining back Jerusalem, regaining back worship in the temple, and uh, the victory happened on the 25th day. And uh, so th this was the final push. It finally expelled out the loyalists to, the, uh, to uh, Antiochus, and they went into the temple to rededicate the temple. And uh, a miracle happened, according to the Maccabean rebellion. A miracle happened in that... When they went back in, the, 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 the Greeks had defiled the temple with the slaughtering of, of pigs. They had defiled the sacred oil that the priests would use to light the menorah candle. This was done according to a Deuteronomical um, um, way that the priests would have to get the freshest of oil. It would have to be blessed in a certain way. It would have to be sealed and used for future purposes to the lighting of the menorah candle. The menorah candle, of course, 
for many of you Christians would know, it was an item that lit the house of God. It lit the tabernacle of old. It was a candelabra with, with seven uh, stalls on it, seven lights on it. And that was continually been lit in the presence of God. It talked about the light of God. The menorah was about the light of God in the temple. And so there was a miracle that they say took place because after all the fighting and the warfare, when they went into the temple, there was virtually no oil left. Um, and actually, there was no oil left. They, and they couldn't just use any oil and defile the temple. They had to use the oil that was blessed by the, by the high priest. They had to use oil that was done according to the law of Moses. But they found one, bar, one small barrel of that oil that had the signet ring of the high priest on it that was sealed and wasn't defiled. Now, that might mean nothing to us about defiling, but Antiochus was very purposeful. His whole idea was to defile anything that was sacred, to literally spit in its face, to rub it in the eyes of the Jews, and to defile everything that was sacred to them in their temple. So, you know, there was just this one vial of, of oil that was not um, polluted in any way, and the, but it was only enough oil for one day. So they lit the menorah candle, and they, they were amazed that eight days later, the menorah still stayed lighting. And so they believed it was a miracle of God. This menorah candle was a miracle of God because they, after all the ceremonies were over, eight days later, they had the, the oil that was ceremonially blessed and crushed, etc. And they were able to keep the light of God going in the temple. And so for the Maccabean rebellion, it was a success. They felt at the end of this, there was a, this was just, again, a symbol of God saying that his light would never go out. Uh, the menorah, the name, the menorah means to dedicate. Uh, sorry, the, 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 the Hanukkah candle came out of that. And the Hanukkah candle means to dedicate. It was a celebration of a new type of light. So it had, it had nine lights on it. And uh, the center light was used to light the other eight over an eight-day period. So it became an eight-day festival of lights where it wasn't like other Jewish festivals that you know, were restricted sometimes by your diet. You know, if you were like Passover, you, had certain un- you couldn't eat unleavened le- bread. You, you had to eat unleavened bread. You had to cook a certain way. Um, you know, Shabbat the same way. But this wasn't subjected to you know, heavy religious laws. This was really a celebration and a rededicating uh, of the temple. And so they, they, they came up with this uh, Hanukkah, uh, candelabra, and it was it was it became part of the Jewish festivity to remember back to this day of deliverance. It's it's been there ever since. It, you know, it's been part of Jewish tradition on, on various levels. It's actually probably higher now than even was uh, maybe a thousand years ago, or maybe even two thousand years ago. It's become more fashionable, I think around the world. You'll see people, if you go to some houses, you'll see these sort of array of candles like this little Christmas time with nine candles on it. it and it's, a, it's about symbolizing light and dedication to God. And so the, the Jews, they, they install this as one of their festivals. Jesus would have celebrated this on some level. As I said, it didn't come out of the Torah, but it, it came into the tradition because there was, there was a very high-valued um, uh, experience to be had for every Jew to talk about dedication to the Lord and shining the light. And so th- that's what they did. The Jews called it the Festival of Lights. 
During that time, they could eat different delicacies. They were not bound by the law. They could work. They could come off work early. They didn't have to work if they didn't want to work. They could eat foods foods that they wouldn't ordinarily culturally eat. Uh, it still would be kosher food, but they wouldn't be culturally eating at a different event. So they loved their fried food at that time, okay? They loved their fried donuts. It was a celebration. They told stories. They sang songs. They gave gifts. Why? Because the temple that had been defiled, the temple that had been taken over by the enemy, was now liberated and reconsecrated to the Lord. And they celebrated this light. And it's interesting that the Jews had many different lights. Obviously, the menorah candle lit the inside of the temple. But to the, the rabbis, they said, no, the, the Hanukkah is going to be a different type of light. There's a light within the temple, but there's also a light for outside of the temple. And the Hanukkah was the light for outside. It was a, a light to, to celebrate, uh, you know, the, the fact that, that, that the temple had come back under. It was to celebrate the miracle. So even the non-believers, our believers, whoever it was, you come to Jerusalem at that time, there was lights everywhere. Every window had a, a Hanukkah light in it. It had a rich symbol, symbolism to the Jews. Dedication and celebrating the miracle. Can you say amen? celebrating the miracle. And, 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 and this is really, as we come up to this, this time of Christmas, and I began to, we rang, read from John about, you know, and the light shines in the darkness, and, and the darkness did not comprehend it or couldn't overwhelm it. You know, that's why Christians began to put lights on trees even. And they began to say, Do you know what? Every light that you see, every little twinkle here, is to be a reminder that there is a light from without. Amen. There's a reminder that there is a deliverance, that the light of the world has come, amen, for the Christian. It's not merely about an Old Testament temple, a deliverance from an army. It's far greater than that. To the Christian, you know, you can take back Christmas if you should want to. If you, show, if you so want to, you can take it back, friends, because when you go with your children and you walk down Patrick Streets and they see the Christmas lights, you say those lights are a reminder that the light of the world came. That's what it is. It's not just mere decorations. It was a decoration to Israel. It was a testament to Israel. But they always played up the symbol of it. They always played it up, friends. And I think it's so important for us to not just get overwhelmed with decorations. And I love Christmas decorations. I'm like a lunatic here trying to get my wife and others in. Please decorate the church. I love lights. I leave them up all year round if I was allowed. Amen. My wife knows that I would celebrate Christmas every day of the week. And so I, I love it. But you know, friends, it's more than just the decorations and the seasonal tastes and feels, friends. There is richness in it. A story told of Martin Luther. One day during his devotional, he goes out into a, what is a crisp, cold day in Germany. He goes out to have a time with the Lord and the snow had just fallen. And it was very still. One of those winter wonderland scenes, you know, where it's so still. And, and the, the light snow had fallen on the, the coniferous tree, the, on what we would call the traditional um, uh, Christmas tree. And as he knelt before the Lord, he, he said, he looked up and the sun had shone through the tree, lighting up all the glistening icicles that were hanging from it. And he looked up and he saw one tree that was always green because it's a never green tree. That had three points, one, two, three, like the Christmas tree. And he saw one tree with three points. And he saw it within it. He said, if, 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 if creation doesn't reveal God, tell me what doesn't. 
He said, one tree with three points. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He saw the light of the world shining through it. Amen. And even then, as the world, the pagan world, would attribute such things to their, as you said this morning correctly, to their demonic pagan gods that did nothing but take from the people. He looked at creation as being a revelation of who God was. The Bible says of all, all of creation reveals him. They're without excuse, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, because of the greatness of God's creation. People are without excuse. God has manifested his attributes and his quality and his design through creation. And so Luther, as he looked at this tree and, and it's glistening and glowing as the sun, I want you to imagine, we've seen pictures of it. We've seen it on TV. We've maybe even encountered it ourselves. Icicles hanging off the tree, the light catching it and the light of the world. Why, friends? Because we as Christians need to celebrate the miracle of light. We need to, friends, not just the light within, but also the light without. Amen. There is that, we heard it Wednesday night, Brother Andy talked about that light, you know, that Gideon had under the, the pots. That as he broke it, it brought a victory. As, as the light was brought out, uh, victory was had. Because the darkness can't comprehend it. It can't overwhelm it. You know, the Jews were there for eight days they celebrated. So the first day, they would light the center candle, which was known as the Shamash candle. That was the center candle, the Shamash candle, also known as the attendant. Type of the Holy Spirit, really. You know, and that was used every day another candle was lit. Another until the eighth day, the eighth candle on each side had been lit and it was blazing with all, all the candles shining in its brilliance. The light went out. They, they celebrated it because the oil never went out. And I want to tell you this morning, Christians, sometimes the old truths are the best truths to remind ourselves. That he who began the good work in you will not, will, you know, will bring it to completion. To understand that when the light came in you, it's not been extinguished. The darkness, even the darkness of your own flesh, even your biological fights that you may have. You understand what I'm saying about biological fights? Those propensities towards this or towards that, or your, your, your traditional vice that is part of your family heritage. Oh, we're just angry. Oh, we deal with depression. Oh, we deal with that. Whatever you deal with, I want to tell you, the light in you is far more powerful than the darkness around you. It's important for you to remember that. It's important for you as you come up to Christmas to understand, friends, that you, we do not look at the darkness, we look at the light. If you start looking at the darkness within you or around you, you'll miss what God is doing. Amen. Because no matter how dark it gets, it cannot extinguish the light of the gospel. It doesn't matter. Antiochus with all his army came in as Satan does with all his foes and all his forces comes against the believer on every front and tries to frighten you. And you may say, you know, my light is flickering, but I want to tell you, a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish, the scripture says. Hallelujah. You might be here this morning, say, my light's nearly out. I'm going to tell you, it's not out. It's only nearly out, but it's not out. Amen. Because the darkness can't overwhelm it. That's what Christmas should be reminding you of. The power of the light of Christ coming into this world. The darkness could not understand it. Jesus talked, uh, back, sorry, back in 2 Kings chapter 4. There's a great story. We all know it very well. We've preached it ups and downs. But it's the story of a widow who has got two sons. And she's no way of paying her debt. And the debtors are coming to take her sons into penal servitude. 
to serve out their, 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 their debt. And she goes to the prophet and she says, my son, my husband's left me with nothing. And he says, he said, sure, he must have left you with something. She said, there's only a little cruise of oil. So only a little cruise of oil that will keep me going for a small length of time. But I want to tell you, friends, that's always what we think about ourselves. I only got a little bit of oil, and it's only going to last me until Monday evening. Then, then I'm probably going to fall again and crawl my way back to next Sunday morning. I want to tell you that the Bible says that the cruise of oil will never run out for you. And she had to learn that the practical way. She started to learn that because she started to exercise that oil, that testimony. She started to pour it out. She started to let that light shine, if you want to put it another way. And as she began to let that light shine, you know, more was added, and more was added, and more was added. And the reality is for you and I, as we begin to let that light shine, God adds more into your own life. That's the reality. There's a transaction that happens when you let the light flow, when you let the light shine. I want to tell you, the light never goes dim. It only gets brighter. God adds to that flame. God adds to that oil. God adds to your voice. God adds to your resources because the darkness can't overwhelm it. The Bible says the excellency of the powers of God in us, not of us. God who commanded the light to shine, Paul says, out of darkness to shine in our life, to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And of course, the treasure, he goes on to say, is in the earthen vessel. The light of the gospel is in you and I. And this woman began to understand that just like the Jews hundreds of years later understood that God is, be, is able to do a miracle in our very, very presence. This was all about, for the Jew, publicizing the miracle. Right to this day, right in New York, right across Israel. It's probably celebrated more outside of Israel than Israel Hanukkah is. But they leave it on display. And should any man or woman say, well, what is the meaning of the Hanukkah? They would say, oh, we had an event in our history where God stepped in and did a miracle. After our, our country was overrun by the Greeks, and after this Antichrist Antiochus came in and defiled everything that was holy, and God revived us again, a spirit of, of, a spirit of reformation came back into the Jewish people where we expelled that which was unholy. And as we came in and done what was righteous, we only had a little bit of light, but God added to it. That's what they would tell you. We only had a little bit of light, but God added miraculously to it. And that is the story of every believer of Christ. That's the story of every believer in Almighty God. That we only have a little strength, friends. We only have a little light. But as we begin to pour out that to others, show forth that to others, then God richly does above and beyond what we can even ask or think. So consider this Christmas, whatever you face, Every time you're hanging up the lights in your house or whatever you're doing, and you think it's a, a chore, and maybe it is a chore. It's not. It's a lot of work. My wife, I came home yesterday or the day before. She was exhausted. The house is beautiful. She does it for me. I know she does. She comes in and she said, did you go and look at the tree? I said, I, I, I was so overwhelmed. I said, I didn't. And I could see the disappointment. But I tell you, when I went in and I saw that beautiful tree lit up with all the lights, because you know why? I know what it means. It's the light of the world. I know what it means. The light has come. I know what I can say to every non-believer. See those lights? They talk about a greater light. The Apostle Paul went up to Mars Hill and he talked about a statue or a tribute to the unknown God and he brought the glory of God to it. I tell you, I can go to every facet of nature. 
and show you the handwork of God. Our great patron saint here at Ireland, Patrick, when he came over from Wales to, to, to evangelize the nation after being brutalized by this nation, after being taken as a boy into captivity and, and, and served out living long, cold, hungry evenings and eventually breaking free and getting back to Wales, God put on his heart to come to Ireland, come back to the very country that held him captive, that bought him as a slave and declared the gospel and he came over as an ordained minister and began to proclaim the gospel to the Irish who couldn't read or write, so that, that lived under demonic gods, lived under druids, under magic, under witchcraft, were completely bound by that thinking and as a consequence became as vicious as any other people that are under those false religions. It's amazing when you go to the world, when you go out in the world, just look at it. Those who, suffer, those who worship those false gods, you can see the butchery and darkness that's in those cultures. It's just there because there's no light. And when the light comes, something changes and it came. And he came into Ireland and it was full of darkness. It was a very, very dark. Actually, Europe was dark. Europe was plundering one another, the, the amount of barbarous behavior, bloodletting, the Germanic tribes, the, it was horrendous, friends. The, 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 the barbarian march right across all of Europe, and the bloodletting in its path, all, all because of darkness. And he came to Ireland and you know, he's trying to communicate the gospel, talk about the triune God, and he happens to pick up one of these pieces of clover. And he sees three leaves in it. He says, I see the glory of God. Hallelujah. Can you see? I see the glory of God in this. And he picks it up and he speaks to the kings. And let me tell you, there's only but one God. But he is eternally existing as three people, Father, Son, and Spirit. We'll hear more of that next week. And he began to communicate to even, because as I said, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the apostle Paul talks about how God has revealed true nature, how he's revealed himself in creation. And I want to tell you, Christian, we can take back every aspect of culture, every aspect of everything, every tree that was used for paganism, every rock that was used for paganism, every piece of water, every piece of landmass, we can turn it around and say, oh no, you just got it wrong. It's he who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. It is he is above it all, amen. The Christian can come into every context and say, oh no, you just got it wrong. His name is Jesus, not Buddha, Muhammad or Krishna. Oh no, no, the one that you should be worshiping is Jesus. The one that gave his life for you. The one that laid down his life that we heard this morning around the, the breaking of bread. And here, the light of the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I am the light of the world. The only begotten of the Father. And you know, and I'm thinking of John. This is, it's all about John, John, John here, talking, talking about John the Baptist. And John wasn't the light. He wasn't the light. But he came to reveal the light. Just so Christian, just like the temple of old, where that menorah candle lit up the inside of that temple. So it is with you and with me. The light of God lives inside you this morning. Can you say amen? 
And I want you to say it, amen, with faith because some of you may have had a very unflattering morning or a very difficult week where you doubted your own stability in God, where you doubted your own position in the body, where you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, I'm the worst of the Christians I know. I have no right to lift up a holy hand, but yet I will raise a hallelujah. Why in the presence of my enemy? Why? Because he's worthy. Why? Because there's light in me. The light of God has come and you can't deny it. There may be many failures and I'm not living in ignorance of yours or mine, but I want to tell you that darkness cannot put it out. Can you say amen? The darkness cannot put it out. Oh, you might have the most awful time, week, month, year, but I want to tell you the light of God is still with you. He's still invested in you. He's still willing and working his good will in your life. And John came not, you know, he wasn't the light. He was to testify of the light. And I think the same is for us today. 2,000 years later, this man came for as a witness to bear witness of the light. And that's really our job now, isn't it? We, you and I are to bear witness. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, Jesus said. That all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus said of you and I, you are the light of the world. A town or a city built upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bushel. Instead, they put it on a stand that it gives light to everyone. You know, this Christmas time, make it a little bit different this year. Make it a bit stronger than last year. If you got a little bit overwhelmed with work and presents and paying bills, if you got a bit sidetracked cooking turkeys and running around like a headless uh, uh, chicken, which we all are susceptible to, and don't beat yourself up. You're in the same soup as most of us. But have a consideration of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Not the one next to you or in front of you or behind you is talking to you. You are the light of the world. It pleased the Father to reveal himself through you. That's the plan of purposes of God. There must be a giving of ourselves to that. There must be a retaking over. There must be a reimagining the world around us. Can you say amen? I'd say we reimagine this world around it the way God intends us to be. That everything shows forth his glory. The earth is the Lord's, the Bible says, and the fullness thereof. Everything brings testimony to his great name. And so you and I, friends, are not to hide this light. There is that light within that we are so comforted by. I'm loved. My sins are forgiven. I'm walking with the Father. But there needs to be that light without as well. Amen. There needs to be that demonstrating, that retaking over, that storytelling. We talked about it last week, telling the stories. How many of your children know your testimony? How many have heard how you got saved? Did your children even know that you didn't know the Lord at some stage? That you had a conversion that changed your life? That's letting your light shine, isn't it? Oh, of every aspect, from praying with your kids, laying hands on them, to testifying, to taking back Christmas, to taking back Christmas trees, if you wish, lights, foliage, whatever it may be, friends, everything is a testimony to the glory of God. Can you say amen? amen. The Christian must let that light be publicized. Let the miracle that happened in your life be publicized. Put it on display. 
and let men come and say, what is the manner of your light? What is the manner of your hope? What are you celebrating? What is it that makes you different? What is it that gives you hope in a time of despair? What is it that, does, that seems to hold you so steady when the world is falling apart? And I hate to say it, the world is falling apart. We just put on a good shine every day. We try to do the same Groundhog Day. Has anybody noticed as you get older it becomes Groundhog Day? Everything kind of tastes the same after a while. Everything's kind of the same. There's no revariance in the world. The only thing that doesn't change, friends, that truly, actually, he doesn't change, but he becomes more noble is the presence of God. You know, we know him, but we get to know him more because he's unsearchable. We learn his ways. We learn his workings. We learn his leadings, his guidings, his comforts. And that's what the world is looking for. The world is looking for a Christian that will publicize the miracle. May our light not be merely internal. Oh, religion is a private issue for me. I'm sure it is because if it's private, it means you've got nothing to boast on. It means you've got nothing to share with anyone else. But I tell you, when you've got good news, you've got everything. When you have a secret, a way forward, a way through, you have everything. You've got the answers to the, for the community. You've got the answers for the drug addicted. You've got the answers for the broken. You have the answers for the bewildered. You've got the answers for those who are hurting themselves today. You have the answers for those whose lives are falling apart. Praise God today. Let your light shine, Christian. Let Christmas be one of those times where men would take note that the light of God is in you and shining. We are light be not just internal, but shining out in this world. And as you let it shine, God will add to your words. God will add to your resources. God will add to your strength. And God will bring himself to reputation to your life as you advertise the miracle. Oh, if they can celebrate the mere lighting of a candle that lasted eight days miraculously. I wonder anyone here saved more than eight days? Raise your hand. Eight years, keep it up. 18 years, the oil is still burning. 20 years, 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, 45 years. I'm stepping my mom. I thought we were the only ones. The oil is still burning. Yes, I said the oil is still burning, Carmia. It didn't run out. The candle is still lighting. I'm sure there's times where you felt it was going to go out. I'm sure there's times you said, it's over, John, we just can't survive. When your husband has to leave your country, try to find a new life, follow the call of God and to, to work over here. When you ha I'm sure you, you felt it Deepak, it's over for us. No income, no possibility. I'm sure we felt it along the journey. But I want to tell you that's a light that will never go out. Yes. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their, nor their children begging for bread. God has always made a way. And friends, we need to advertise the miracle. If the Jews can put a menorah candle up and talk about their heritage, which is righteous for them to do so, and to talk about the deliverance of God, which was real for them. Surely be, we can light a light. And when we put up our Christmas tree lights, we tell people what that looks like. When we turn on a light, we tell them why. 
Because the Bible says God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray and worship the Lord and say in your heart, as I would say in mine with you, that, oh God, I'm going to let this light shine. I'm going to let the miracle of Christmas, the light that came into the world and the darkness could not comprehend it, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to light my own menorah candle and my own Hanukkah candle to the Lord. And people will see and know that there is a God of lights. Hallelujah. All good things, the Bible says, come down from God, come down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow or turning. Our God is light. Our God is light. There is no darkness in Him, friends. There's no shadow. There's no turning in Him. He wants to reflect Himself through the earthen vessel, through you and me. And He is doing it. And He's doing a good job. It's just taking a bit longer with some of us, but He's not finished yet. And as, as we hear an overture, an overture is an invitation to come and say, Oh God, this morning, I want to celebrate the miracle. I want to celebrate the miracle of Jesus. How do I do that? By giving thanks. Of course. But telling others. This is how this church has endured for 2,000 years. We've told people about the light of the world. And we haven't told it from a second or third, but we told them from our own story. Oh, I heard God changed his life and their life. We may have said that, but we can say God's changed my life. Can you say amen? Raise your hand this morning if the Lord has changed your life. If you are one of those redeemed of the Lord, washed in the blood, forgiven, and the light of God living you, you can raise I'm not saying the perfect ones. I'm just saying this is a reality. You have lots of imperfections in you, but you can't deny that the light of the gospel has shone so brightly in your life, not because you're a good person, because the light is good. Yes, and the darkness can't, can't comprehend it. It can't stop it. Even in my darkest hour, and my woeful thinking as a Christian, it didn't stop the light of God shining. Never once. And oh Lord, as we come up to Christmas, Jesus, help us, Lord, to not get so overwhelmed, Father, that we forget and we miss the glory of Jesus. That we miss the opportunity to put you on display, to celebrate the miracle of the new life. The Jews did it with their Hanukkah candle. We do it by raising a hallelujah, by testifying of his name, by letting the light and the very odor of Christ, the aroma of Christ, spread from the Christian church into this sin-sick world that Jesus Christ loves and gave his life for. Now, if you're this morning, say, Lord, if you want to say it in your heart, do, but you know, it's a much greater thing to say with your voice. Say, oh God, I want to let this light shine. I want to testify of the miracle. Make it a prayer even now. Say, oh God, I want to testify of the miracle. I want to put it on display. I want men and women to ask me why. And I want you to give me the words to say. What to say and how to say it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, we give you glory. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.